0: So we're doing the stand. So this is week four of the stand, and next week is week five, and and that's the the end of that particular series. So what I wanted to hopefully convey to you today is that this is actually a message of hope. This is one of those messages that what I wanted for you guys is to be able to hear something, find out how to apply it, and walk away be able to do that in your life. Because I wanted to be able to learn you something. I wanted you to learn how to stand in faith. I wanted you to be able to go, I'm struggling with this. I've been believing God for promises. I've been believing God for healing or to break off these habits that I have or to break this addiction that I have. And I wanted you today to go away and go, I have hope for that. So that's the goal. That's what what I'm so hoping is going to happen. Does that make sense? All right. Awesome. So... If you have a Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 10. If you have a a device, flick open your Bible app to Daniel chapter 10. And we're going to read verses uh, 5 to 19. But I have to warn you, this passage gets a little weird, which I don't mind. I kind of like weird. In this passage, we start talking about angels and demons and there's battles happening in the heavenlies. And Craig said, I'm not allowed to get sidetracked. Because if you've been in this church long enough, you know I'm quite happy to go down that rabbit hole. So he said, you cannot get sidetracked. You've got stick to stick to the plan. So if I start to get sidetracked, wave. Chances are I'll probably just wave back. But, you know, just I promised I wouldn't do it. So, but, so I just wanted to warn you, if you're not familiar with this passage, it does get a little weird. But we'll break it down and talk about it. All right, so verse 5. I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem, his face flashed like lightning, and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze, and his voice roared like the vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me. My face grew deathly pale and I felt very weak. Then I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. Just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling to my hands and knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God, so listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for for I have been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up, still trembling. Then he said, "'Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray.'" Uh, Since first I began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come and answered to your prayer, but for 21 days the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time not yet to come. While he was speaking to me, I looked down at the ground, unable to say a word. Then the one who looked like a man touched my lips and opened my mouth and began to speak. And I said to the one standing in front of me, I am filled with anguish because of the vision I have seen, my Lord, and I am very weak. Now how can someone like me, your servant, talk to you, o my Lord? My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. Then the one who looked like a man touched me again and I felt my strength returning." Don't be afraid he said for you are very precious to God peace be encouraged be strong as he spoke these words to me i suddenly felt stronger and said to him please speak to me my lord for you have strengthened me so i wanna because i predominantly prefer to teach i'm going to put some context around this whenever i look at a passage of scripture i like to see where does it fit in the things that were happening in the world at that time where does it fit within the history of the world so this happened about the 6th century BC. This happened at a time where the Mayan culture was flourishing in Mexico. Where This is when Nebuchadnezzar was building the hanging gardens in Babylon. So we have a time where, this is actually the time, interestingly enough, if you like odd facts, is when Confucius and Buddha actually lived. A lot of people don't seem to know that they actually lived that far before Jesus, but this is when they were living. This is when uh, explorers made the first known sea voyage around Africa. So when people were conquering during this time, it wasn't a case of let's just remove, our, remove the, the threat or take over a nation. They completely destroyed the nation in the process. It was a very violent culture. It was a very violent time on the earth, but it was also a time of great beauty. It was also a time where our civilization, the, the, the foundation of our modern civilization was beginning to be planted. You see, because at this time, the Greek um, architecture and the Greek um, artworks were beginning to, to develop quite hugely. So it was a time almost of huge violence coupled with incredible beauty. And wisdom was sought. So, in the, so this is where this story sits in the world's history. And in the first week, we talked about uh, stand out. And so what had happened was Nebuchadnezzar had come along, and he had—he was like the ruling king of Babylon. Babylon was at its height of its power, and he had come in, and he decided he was taking all of Israel. He was just going to just take the Jewish people. So that's what he did. He comes in, and he completely destroys the temple. He completely destroys everything that there was, and he took all the all the young people with him. So at this time, we know that Daniel was about 15 years old. Well, they say that he could have been anywhere between 13 to 17, so they say he was 15. So he comes along, and Nebuchadnezzar does something which we see the enemy doing today in our world, and he's tried to redefine their identity. He changed their names, he changed who they were, and he fed them from what they were eating, and he tried to educate them in their ways. Now Daniel went along with everything. He he allowed them to change his name, he allowed them to... Uh, re-teach them their culture, he allowed them to do that. The only time Daniel actually stopped and said, I'm not doing that, was when they tried to interfere in his relationship with God. Right. Do you remember that? Excellent. And the second week, we talked about stand up. And so Daniel at that time was about 40, and he had actually built a friendship with Nebuchadnezzar, who was an evil king. So he had actually managed to build a relationship with this evil person while not compromising at all what he believed. By not compromising at all what God had spoken to him and how to follow God. He also was able to, because of his um, relationship with God, be able to confront Nebuchadnezzar and try to bring him into a relationship with God. And he did this in in a really good way. And for us, we saw how we're supposed to confront people, right? Because we're bringing people to restoration. And week three, it was to stand strong. And this is where we get the awesome story of Daniel in the lion's den. It's, it's a, a favorite of most kids. It's a fascinating story. Um, but Daniel at this time, he's about 80. He's 80 years old when they throw him into a pit with these lions. He's no longer 15. But because he never compromised on his relationship with God from the time he was 15, when he was 80, he still wasn't compromising on his relationship with God. And we saw how God actually delivered him and saved him through that. Do you all remember, those of you who are here? If you missed any of it, I recommend you go um, onto Podbean or onto our Facebook page. Uh, click on the link and listen. It's been, it's been a great series. So this week, Daniel's even older again. Probably around 90. It did, this happened not that long after um, the thing with the uh, lions. But what you have to remember is that for decades and I'm talking decades, Daniel has been standing strong in his faith. Daniel has been standing uncompromising about his relationship with God. Daniel actually believes everything that God's told him. He's believing for miracles. And the miracle that he's been believing for, for decades, was that the temple would be rebuilt. Because he saw, when he was 15, he saw them destroy the temple. Because that's what they did. They went in and they just leveled the place. And he saw it happen, and even though he no longer lived there, and even though he was actually in a really good position, he had all the comforts that he needed, he never stopped seeking God about rebuilding the temple. And he never stopped seeking God about returning his people back to that place of worship. So he's been praying and praying for this. And finally, he's at a point in his life where he's beginning to see that this might actually happen, that the king might actually grant them permission to rebuild the temple. And not only that, but the king might actually fund rebuilding the temple. And so he's starting to get a bit excited because it looks like all of what he's been believing for, all of what he's been praying for is about to pass. But then he has this vision, and it freaks him out because it's a vision that didn't speak of them regaining the temple and rebuilding the temple. It was a vision that spoke of war, and it spoke of hardship. And it was a vision that so upset him and so disturbed him, and he was just not understanding because the signs were saying one thing, but this vision was saying something else that was really awful, that he decided that he had to pray. So he, had, he was like, God, I've got to speak to you about this because I'm not understanding what I'm seeing and I don't like what I'm seeing and I'm disturbed by what I'm seeing. So he begins to pray and he prays for 21 days and he did a partial fast and not only did he pray for the 21 days, he didn't, didn't um, where it says there he wore no lotion, which means he didn't bathe for 21 days. Now, here at CFC, in February, we do a 21-day fast but I want you to know that we always bathe. I think it's very important to clarify that. Part of the Daniel fast is not not bathing. Okay? So if you're going to, and I really encourage you, start preparing, start planning for it in February when we do a corporate one. You know, work out what you're going to do, partial fast, full fast, but make sure you bathe. Just want to really put that out there. So Daniel, though, he begins to seek God. He saw him, and at the end of the 21 days, this is the vision that he had. And I kind of wanted to break this down to you because it gives us some keys, some stuff that's going to help us when we're praying, when we're seeking, when we're not understanding where God's going with something. And it says in it that he sees a man. Now, I believe that this was a Christophany. So Christophany is where Jesus turns up in the Old Testament before he's actually been brought to earth as a man. It's a nice term that you can use when you go to Bible college. It's a great term to throw around in connect group to make you sound smart. But a Christophany is when Jesus turns up. Quite, scholars are kind of divided on this, but I've decided that I'm going to err on the side of God. So I've decided that Everything that I believe and everything I know and everything that they taught me at Bible college, I believe that this was Jesus. Now, like I said, there are a bit divide on it. And the reason why I've decided to do that is I remember seeing this cool-ass cartoon years ago. And it was about a little boy, and he's in Sunday school. And the Sunday school teacher is, is in the front of the class, and she says, All right, class, what is small, furry, brown, and likes to eat nuts?" And this boy puts up his hand, and he says, Jesus! And the teacher goes, no, it's a squirrel. And he goes, I thought it was a squirrel, but since I'm in Sunday school, I figured God would want me to say Jesus. (laughs) So we're going to say it's Jesus, all right? So I'm going to preach this and speak about this as if it was Jesus. We can have a theological debate about it later if you're so inclined. All right, so let's break it down. Verse 5. I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem, his face flashed like lightning, and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze, and his voice roared like the vast multitude of people. One of the main reasons why I believe that this was Jesus is because it matches the description that the Apostle John gives us in Revelation 19. It match- It sounds the same. Sounds like Jesus to me. Verse 7, only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The men with me saw nothing, but they were suddenly terrified and ran away and hid. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me and my face grew deathly pale and I felt very weak. It's interesting to me that Daniel's the only one who sees this. The, the, The other guys were there, but he's the only one who sees Jesus at this moment. Same thing happens to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Everybody else who was with, with him didn't see it, but, but Paul heard Jesus. No one else heard a thing. And so here we have Daniel, and he's the only one in his whole group. This happens to us. And I can see some of you looking at me blank. How does this happen to us? Have you ever had a moment where you've been reading the Bible, and you've read a passage before, maybe many times, and all of a sudden, something in it leaps out at you? All of a sudden, it's like one verse is just, "Oh, this is God speaking to me, and it's amazing." And, it's and then you go and you share it with your husband, and he goes, "Oh yeah." No one, else? you guys ever had that happen? No, is that just me? You see, God will reveal something special to someone, and not to someone else. It can happen when you're reading your Bible. It can even happen when you're when you're in the middle of uh, singing a worship song. It can happen where God will just tap something and touch something, and it means something specifically to you for where you're at and for what you're going through. For me, at the moment, the song Wayfar- Waymaker is the one. There's one line, and I I get brought to tears every time. And it's that line that says, "Light in the darkness." Because at the moment I'm dealing with students who are talking about suicide and they're cutting themselves. And and all I'm like is, I have family members, extended family members who are suffering with depression, and I'm like, they've lost hope. They have no light. And so every time I hear that line, every time I sing that line, I feel like God is saying to me, speak about the light and the darkness. So you will have moments like that where God will speak specifically to you and not to the people around you. And that's what happened to Daniel in verse 8. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me. My face grew deathly pale and I felt very weak. Then I heard the man speak. And when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. Did you know that the strongest of men cannot bear the weight of the glory of God? It cannot bear the weight of the glory of God. We cannot, our human physical body cannot bear the weight. You might see sometimes when people are praying for people and you see people begin to fall, they're not being pushed over, they're not being shoved. It's literally their body can no longer sustain the weight of the glory of God that's beginning to sit upon them. And they begin to droop and they begin to drop. I had an experience when I first got saved. I came, came to the church when I was 15. I did not come from a Christian home. So I went to church by myself when I was 15. And I ended up by sitting in the service by myself because a friend of my mom's had taken me and she'd brought me along. And she had disappeared because she forgot she was on grace. So here I am, 15 years old, sitting in a church. I don't know anybody in this church. So I'm sitting there. And as the worship began, I was like, for starters, that was a bit odd because I I didn't know that they sang songs like that in church. I kind of thought it was all just hymns. And the preacher gets up and he begins to preach this message. And as he's preaching this message... It was like there was nobody else in the room. It was just him and I. And I swear, everything he said was God talking directly at me. And we get to the point in the salvation thing where he starts praying, asking for people who wants to receive Jesus. And I was up that front of that. I was standing at the front of the church before he'd even finished speaking. And as he began to pray, the weight of God so fell upon me that it drove me to my knees not because I wanted to, not because I thought, oh, I should should kneel. He never told me to kneel. But honestly, the presence of God so consumed me and so fell upon me that I fell to my knees. And it was a moment of absolute surrender. It was a moment where I realized that if I was doing this, if I was going to accept the salvation that God was offering, if I was going to take him up on this, then my whole entire world was going to change. And my whole entire life was going to change because when I commit myself to something, I fully commit myself to it. And so I, as, I, as I said to God, yes, I drew, fell to my knees as the presence of God came upon me. And it was one of those moments where I felt so awful about the stuff that I had done and the things that I've been living in and doing, um, but at the same time I was so overwhelmed with joy and gratitude for everything God has done. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you had that experience? This is what had happened. When the weight of the glory of God comes upon you, you will fall to your knees because our position when it comes to God and worship is always on our face before Him. So what I wanted to share with you, there are three things in this passage that are going to help you stand in faith. And I wanted to make sure that they were... Um, that it was an application that you could take away and actually apply to your situation. Maybe you're okay. Maybe you're not actually in that situation today. But there will come a time when your faith will drive you to a point where you're like, I need to know how I'm going to keep standing in faith. And so I really wanted to um, make sure that we got, you got these three points today. So the first thing that you have to remember is that God cares more about you than you do. And that one seems a bit odd, but he does. God cares more about you than you do. In verse 10, just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling to my hands and knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. The first thing that most of us do not understand is that God never extends his hand in condemnation. He only ever extends his hand to lift us up. And for some of you, this is your moment. For some of you, you need to hear this. You, and, and I believe that that's why you are here today. You have to understand that you are precious to God. You are precious to God. It's not that he just loves you. It's that you are precious to God. I shared a couple of uh, last weekend with the ladies in here that I love each person in my church. I would gladly sacrifice my life for yours. If there was an oncoming car, I would run out there and push you out of the way. And if I died in the process, that's fine. But my children are precious to me. I would not sacrifice them for you. They are th- I would sacrifice myself for you, absolutely. I would not sacrifice my children for you because they are that precious to me. And what we don't understand is that that's how God feels about you. You are so precious to him. You are so valuable to him. You are so important to him that he came to Jesus and he said, I so love this person. I so love these people that I need you to do something. I need you to lead this heavenly kingdom. And I need you to go into earth and inhabit a... This is a body of a child, of a baby. And I need you to grow as they grow. And I need you to experience the things that they experience. I need you to struggle the way that they struggle. And I need you to actually face the temptations that they face. And then when you grow up, I need you to actually love on them. And then as they spit on you, and as they scorn you, and as they mock you, and as they ridicule you, and when they beat you, and then finally when they actually hang you on a cross, and they allow you to die, and they laugh while they're doing it, I need you to do that because I love them so much, because they are so precious to me. And then Jesus, because you are equally as precious to him, says, I'll do that. That is help. Sometimes I think we don't understand how precious you are to Jesus, how precious you are to God, that he would willingly do this for you over and over again if that's what it was going to take. You are that precious to your father. Verse 11, And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. There are three things that you need to remember if you're going to stand in faith. First one is that God cares more about you than you do. The second one is that God is doing more than you understand. In verse 12, then he said, Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer, but for 21 days the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. I understand that sometimes we've been praying and believing God for a long time. That we've been praying and believing God for such a long time that we're kind of at the point where we think it's never going to happen, and why do I keep praying? Why do I keep believing? Why, you know, God probably doesn't even care. The thing that you have to understand is that the very first time you began to pray, heaven heard you. The very first time you prayed, God heard the cry of your heart. The very first time that you prayed for your child or you beg God for healing for them, the very first time that you prayed for salvation for a family member, the very first time that you prayed and asked God to provide financially for you, or to bring you a job, or to bring you restoration a relationship, the very first time you did that, heaven heard what you said. He heard what you said. And God loves it when we consistently pray to him, when we continue to pray to him. And the thing is that you don't understand is that you don't know what's going on. The first time you cry out, God hears you. He hears you. But for 21 days, how long did Daniel fast for? 21 days. The spirit prince fought for 21 days. He was the spirit prince of Persia. We're talking about a fallen angel. We're talking about a demon. There's demonic powers that do not want your prayers to be answered. So when the answer leaves heaven, they will do whatever they can to block that. Sometimes you haven't heard because it's been held up in the heavenlies. We can talk about the three heavens, already done a message on that. We won't get into that today because that would be a sidetrack. But there are three heavens. There's this heaven, there's the heaven where God resides, and then there's the middle heaven. And in the middle heaven is where the battles happen, where the, where the, where the war rages. But you need to think about this. Daniel prayed, and he continued to pray. And he continued to pray. And what did he see? Nothing. He didn't see anything. Not a thing. Nothing changed. The circumstances where he was in, the place where he was, nothing changed. And just because he didn't see anything, just because you can't see what's going on, doesn't mean that God isn't moving. It doesn't mean that God isn't on your side. It doesn't mean that he's not battling and changing things. Because the first time you cry out, God will release the answer. The first time you've cried out, his angels have come to minister to you. And they are doing warfare for you on your behalf in the heavenly realms. And it happens in a way that you don't understand. And all you have to do is to keep believing. you just got to keep praying. you just got to keep seeking God for that thing. Because you don't know what's happening between here and heaven. 21 days earlier, when Daniel still saw nothing, there was a battle had started. You've got to understand that God hears what you say. The first time you pray, God hears. So how do you keep standing in faith? Because you've got to remember that he cares more about you than you do. Because he's doing way more than you understand. And I've shared many testimonies of the times where I thought nothing was happening and stuff was happening in the background. I had a moment... For those of you who don't know, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease when I was 19. And Crohn's disease is a really awful disease. It's a really humiliating disease. It's where you have ulceration through your um, bowel and your intestines and your esophagus. And so then I did something really weird that, that is quite rare for Crohn's and that spread into my stomach. So this is a disease where it just robs you of all dignity because as soon as you have to go to the bathroom, you have to go straight away. Like there's no, if I feel like I have to go, I'm just going to drop the microphone and go because that's literally how bad it is. You have no control over your bowels. You have no control. So this is a humiliating disease. And so I've had multiple surgeries for this disease. I have had parts of my bowel removed and stuff like that. The thing that I've been struggling with all these years is I have been praying for healing. Craig has been praying for healing. My parents have been praying for my healing. And now that my children are older, they've been praying for my healing. So we've been praying, we've been praying, we've been praying. And it looks like nothing's happening because you go in and they go, yeah, we can see the Crohn's here, and we can see it here, and we can see it here. And you kind of get to this, sometimes you're like, hmm, what's going on, God? I'm still believing for healing. Then my doctor said something to me a couple of years ago that kind of changed my perspective on this whole thing. And what he said to me was, Trin, you're the healthiest Crohn's patient I have. He's like, well, that's a weird thing to say. What are you saying? What do you mean? He goes, people who've had Crohn's for as long as you have, and to the extent that you've had it, by now are no longer working. Ah, really? Not only that, but their recovery time after surgery is usually four to six months. Four to six months? I'm like... And I had the surgery. I'm supposed to stay in for 10 days. I never stay in for 10 days. I hate hospitals. So I'm usually gone by day five. And then I'm supposed to have four to six months of recovery time at home. I don't think so. I'm going to be bored. And I don't. I'm always like, I don't feel like I need to just lie on bed and do nothing. He goes, exactly. He goes, and he goes, because the medication that I have to take destroys your kidney and livers. Liver. So I have to have blood tests every month to check what my kidney and liver is doing. He goes, why now? He said, you've been taking the medication since you were... Hold on, wait. If I have medicine when I was 25, I've been taking the medication since I was 24. My kidney and liver function is perfect. He said, someone who's been taking that amount of immune suppressants should not have kidney and liver function. That look perfect. So I don't know what God's doing. I, I don't understand why God's doing it this way, but God is not allowing... This to ruin my life he's not allowing this to overthrow my life he is not allowing this i may not see the full healing like i think i wanted to see it like i think it should be done but he's doing a work behind the scenes that i don't understand and you know what i don't need to At the end of the day, I actually don't need to understand it. But I suddenly realized that God had actually been answering my prayers in a way that I didn't understand, and so I missed it. And so now, whenever I pray for healing, it's coupled with, I thank you, God, that I'm still healthy. I thank you, God, that I'm still working. I thank you, God, that my kidney and livers are still functioning. And so my prayers have shifted. I don't know what you're praying for. I don't know how long you've been praying for it. But I do know that God will answer, and it will be the right answer for your situation. Not necessarily the answer you wanted. Yeah? So the last thing is that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. It's actually a New Testament principle and the Apostle Paul talks about it. And what's going to happen is you're going to get to a point sometimes when you're believing, when you're holding on to faith, that you're like, I I can't hold on anymore. Like, I can't do this anymore. You get to the end of yourself. And I'll be honest, there'll be moments when I got to the end of myself while I was praying for my healing, where you feel like, I can't pray anymore. I can't say anything anymore. And you have that moment where where you just kind of want to give up. And it's at that point that God steps into your world. And it's at that point when you prayed all the prayers and you're just like, God, it's just, I don't know. And I I encourage you to have honest conversations with God. Sometimes we try to dress it up all in the pretty language. We try to use all the nice, fancy words. But he knows that you're upset. He knows that you're you're angry. He knows that you're frustrated and you don't understand what he's doing. So I say that to him. I've had those moments where I'm like, God, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand this, and and your word says this, this, and this, and I don't see that. Do you know how many times in my car I've had those conversations? Seriously. I do that. thing is, you're never going to, until you fully embrace your own weakness, you're never going to be able to see how strong God is for you. You're never going to be able to see how strong he is for you. In verse 17, says, how can someone like me, your servant, talk to you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. And for some of you, that captures exactly where you are. Your strength is gone. You've been hanging on to your marriage by the skin of your teeth, barely making it through financially week to week. You've been hanging on to your kids, and and they're barely even speaking to you anymore. And you get to that point where your strength is gone, and you can hardly breathe. In verse 18, and then the one who looked like the man touched me again, and I felt my strength returning. You actually need to have a God moment. You need to put yourself in a position where God can touch, where God can reach out and speak to you, where God can say something to you. The amount of times I start off in my car, God, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't, don't get this. And your word says this, and your word says that. And I find myself repeating back to him what his word says. And I find myself singing to him. I find myself having a moment where strength infuses me because I suddenly remembered I'm supposed to be focusing on him and not on me. If you are in a place where you're at the end of yourself... What are you doing? Are you opening up your Bible? Are you Are throwing on some worship? Or are you not? Bill Johnson, who passes Bethel Church, he put this really awesome statement out just this week, and it says, if God inhabits the praises of his people, who's inhabiting your complaints? I was like, ouch. That one kind of hurt a little bit. When you are whinging and you're moaning and you're complaining, Who inhabits that? And to be honest, your situation is not going to change. You may be sitting here thinking, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? But you've got nothing left but to pray. Because if you don't pray, your situation is not going to change, right? But if you do pray, your situation will change. And sometimes it's you that needs to change. But sometimes all you need is one touch, one moment in God's presence. One moment when a verse suddenly highlights for you. One moment when you're singing a song and one line leaps out at you and that's your moment and you lay hold of that. And everything will change. Verse 19, don't be afraid, he said, for you are very precious to God. Peace, be encouraged, be strong. And as he spoke these words to me, I suddenly felt stronger and I said to him, please speak to me, my Lord, for you have strengthened me. He may do exactly what you're asking Him. He may do exactly what you've been praying for. Or He may not. He may do something different. But just because you can't see it doesn't mean He's not doing something. And what's going to happen is people are going to look on and they're going to see you and they're going to say to you, how are you still doing this? How are you still holding on to God? And what you're going to say is, because I know that God cares more about me than I care about myself that I know that God is doing way more for me than I can even see or understand. And I know that his strength is made perfect in my weakness. And I'm going to tap into his strength because I, I'm, I'm at the end of myself. You've got to continue to believe. And remember that you trust in a God who works all things for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, he works all things for good. The enemy may have meant something for evil. The enemy may have meant it for bad. The enemy may be forming a weapon against you, but he brings all things for good. And that's what you need to remember. Nine times out of ten, when we are struggling to believe God, it's because we've forgotten who he is. We've forgotten what he's done. We've forgotten how much he loves. Just because you can't see God moving doesn't mean he's not doing anything. So I really wanted you to go away with that sense today that I may not see God moving in this situation but I trust that he is. That I may not see see God's hand physically changing things but I'm going to trust that he is. That I'm going to trust that whatever God does and however he does it even if it's not the way I think it should be done that he's doing it because he loves me. And that even though I'm at the end of myself, that he will continue on, that he will continue fighting on your behalf.